welcome to another episode of Power, Peace and Love podcast, where real stories of real women are shared. I'm your host, Irma Vera, and get ready to be empowered. Thank you for joining us. This is Power, Peace and Love. Our guest today is Brie Lorraine. Brie will be sharing with us a story about her personal struggles, how she overcome an abusive relationship, and how she deals with depression and anxiety, currently in therapy to continue to be mentally healthy. Brie, thank you very much for being here. Welcome to Power, Peace, and Love. Thank you for having me. Thank you uh, for taking your time. And pretty much today, you know, it's all about our or sharing or conversation and see, you know, how this is going to help our audience, how people will, you know, actually um, relate it to this situation, uh, because it's, it's, it happens to everyone. So let's see what you say. Okay, I will say this is the first time of me, like, really speaking out on my situations, so I might be a little iffy or I might cry a lot <laughs> um but I want to say about two years ago is when I left my abusive relationship I was in that relationship for about three years um I had one kid during that relationship so we're still kind of intertwined um in, in a sense um but during that time um I was strangled Um, I was threatened to be killed um, with the machete. Um, I was in the hospital about three separate times for some different um, things that had happened. Um, And during one of those hospital stays is when I was diagnosed with anxiety and severe depression. And I never really spoke on the abuse that was going on, I kind of just said, oh, you know, I just had a baby, I'm going through a lot, and I kind of just tried to sweep it under the rug so that nobody would get in trouble. And over those few years, I kind of noticed, you know, like my kids were being affected, and I think that was, for me, the biggest thing where I was like, okay, I got to stop this now, and I got to get out in some form or fashion. And so it took me a a while. I had planned for a couple of months to safely leave, which is really the best way to leave instead of just kind of jumping the gun. Um, so those three years, I was unemployed. I didn't have a car. I had no income. I had absolutely nothing. And so those few months that I was kind of planning, um, I did uh, finish my schooling. I did get a job. I did get a car. Um, and so I had contacted a lawyer without his knowledge and he kind of just took me through it all and he was like hey I can get you a restraining order you know I can make sure you have somewhere safe to go I can make sure you know x y and z are taken care of so that you can safely leave with your kids and so um, I believe it was May 27th when I had finally left and I didn't even go back to his house. Like I left my job early. I went to go pick up my kids from daycare early and he had no idea that any of this was going on because he usually picked up our kids from daycare. And he called me and he's like, hey, you know, our daughter's not at daycare, what's going on? 
and I just hung up and he hadn't heard from me for two weeks and then his mom you know she contacted me and she's like hey I thought you know you might be on vacation with the girls we're kind of worried about you and that's when I finally told her because she had no idea about any of the abuse for those three years and we lived under the same roof so yeah I was kind of really really swept under the rug and um she actually worked at my specialist's office she was the medical assistant and I had an upcoming appointment and I told her I was like you know what I'll see you on Tuesday at my appointment and I can tell you everything then and that's when I kind of just threw it all out there and she was finally just like you know I could see that you know you weren't as happy as you were and she was like you know he leaves and you stay home or you leave and he stays home like everything kind of just fell apart slowly and I noticed it and so when I left him I actually went to the woman's shelter that's in the city that I live in um, and he had no idea nobody had any idea and thankfully I took him to court we won in court you know so I had custody of my kids and all of that um, and so I was doing great for about a year and a half and I don't know what happened, honestly, that um, I just had a mental breakdown. I mean, I'm, I dealt with anxiety and depression this whole time, but at some point I just had a mental breakdown and I was at my house. It was just me and my youngest daughter and I was trying to open something. I was opening a Capri Sun for her and I just kept feeling like this rush in my body. I, I couldn't, can't really describe the feeling, but I knew I was feeling really, really off. And so I had told her, you know, hurry up, give me the juice so I can go lay down and I can calm down. And I was looking for scissors to open it. I was looking for anything to just open it because it didn't have a straw. And so finally I get a knife from, you know, the little knives and I cut it open and there was just like a rush over my body that just told me, stab yourself and stab your child. And like I said, I just, I can't describe that feeling because never in my life would I hurt myself, especially not my kid, you know? And so I had, I threw the knife and you know, I, I we both ran outside and I was like, we gotta go, baby, we gotta go. We're gonna go to daddy's house because he's the only person that I knew in that city. So I took off, went to his house, and you know, I told him that it was just my anxiety then. I couldn't control my anxiety and I needed to be somewhere else. And it was, it was three o'clock in the morning, so everyone was asleep and I'm like banging on the door. I didn't know, you know, I didn't know what to do because I kept having that overwhelming feeling to hurt myself and hurt my kid for no reason. And so finally he answered the door. You know, we went to sleep, woke up the next day, and I still felt this same feeling for two days. And so I had called my uh, PCP and I told them, you know, I'm having suicidal and homicidal thoughts. I need to go into the doctor. And so she put me on hold for a second and when she came back on the phone she's like hey she uh the doctor's telling me that you need to go to the hospital right now and tell them the exact same thing you told me and so i'm thinking like is this really that serious that you know i need to go to the hospital and tell them that i'm feeling these mental feelings and so of course i took off i didn't tell them where i was going i just said i have a doctor's appointment 
And so I went, I, you know, I was on suicidal watch in the hospital and I practically begged them to let me get checked into a mental hospital. And so there was a CPS worker that came and talked to me. There was a police officer who specialized in mental health. There was, you know, multiple doctors that came and talked to me. And I told them the same thing. Like I told them what happened. I told them how I was feeling. And I kept telling them, this isn't me. Like I was just, I was so flustered. I could barely even talk. And so after I talked to like five or six different people, they finally offered to let me go to a hospital in Austin. And I stayed there for an entire week. And they just evaluated me for depression, for suicidal thoughts, for homicidal thoughts. And after that week's stay in the hospital, um, I had decided to get therapy from the same hospital and it was every single day of the week that I would have to go in. Um, it was group therapy and I mean, I don't know if that was good or not, you know, talking to other people that are suicidal when you're trying to overcome those feelings, but I was in it for about four or five weeks. And I mean, over time, it really, really, really helped because I was adamant on just not taking meds. Like I knew that if I took meds, it would throw me off and it could, you know, put me back into a worse, you know, I just, I didn't want to do that. So I stuck with the therapy. Um, the doctor that was monitoring me the whole time kept telling me, you know, you're making great progress. You know, the thoughts aren't there. The feelings aren't there. And it took me all of that, a whole mental breakdown to realize that I never even really healed from that abusive relationship. I kind of just left and, you know, I thought, oh, I'm, you know, I left, everything's good now, but I never mentally healed from it. And so that kind of all just came back and just really messed me up. And that's where the mental breakdown really came from. Um because my abuser was actually very suicidal when I had left and he was constantly telling me about it, you know, because that's, you know, the manipulative thing about abusive people. And so right before my mental breakdown is when he told me that he was feeling very suicidal and he was on the edge and he just kept telling me, you know, you don't want our kids to grow up without a dad. And I just, it was so random too, because I was just, actually getting into bed and he was telling me these things and I've learned over my few weeks in therapy that I'm a very empathetic person and I take on people's feelings way too strongly so when he told me he was feeling suicidal I took that on very very strongly and that's when those suicidal thoughts started to happen wow. yeah it wow. was really it's, scary it's pretty, pretty scary pretty powerful yes very yeah. uh, what about your, your, you know, before, you know, when you met him, mm -hmm. uh, uh, how was your, your family situation, you know, is this the first time it, it happened to you? Like, my first time ever. I mean, my parents, I mean, my mom, she was in an abusive relationship and, you know, growing up, I always told myself, like, why would my mom stay with my dad and, you know, he's doing this to her, like, I never understood it. And then when I was in that position, I'm like, it makes sense why she couldn't leave because it's just, it's not safe. You know, they keep coming after you, which is exactly what my abuser did. He just kept coming and kept coming and kept coming. 
it's kind of like you know we we go with the same pattern right we yes. see and we think it's normal right. kind of you know normal because we don't we don't know any better right. and, and we don't know how to deal with those situations and um but it, i mean pretty much it was okay uh, it, you have more sisters and more brothers? Yes, I have so much family. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And before I had went to the mental hospital, I had told my whole family, you know, this is how I've been feeling the past two days. It's not me. I know it's not me. And so the whole time in the hospital, I had, you know, a really big support system. Oh, wow. Wow. That's pretty important. Huh? Yes. Yeah. I definitely needed it because I was just so off from what I usually feel like. Wow! Wow! How how um what how everybody reacted to this because you know you're in the hospital. This mm -hmm. is serious. Uh, what everybody thought about it? Everybody was really really shocked oh. to be honest. Because I'm more of like I'm always happy. I'm always joking. Even if I am like upset about something or sad, like it's never to the point where I'm super super depressed that I just can't get out of it. And so for them to see me in the hospital and, you know, just even my physical appearance was totally different. Yeah. And so when I got out, we all got together and, you know, we all kind of prayed together. We all cried together and just like, I'm slowly getting better, but it was a really, really tough time. Wow. That, that, that is kind of, you know, pretty scary. Definitely. Yeah. Um, how about your daughter? Yes. How about her? I mean, how old is she? How old is she? How did you guys manage this situation around her? It was really, really tough um, because, you know, dealing with CPS, they kind of told everybody else a different story. You know, they were telling them like, oh, she wanted to stab your daughter and, you know, kill her and throw her out of the car and she wanted to hang herself. And I'm like, I was in the hospital for a whole week and everyone thought this is what I was thinking when it's not. So when I tried to go pick up my daughter from her dad, like it was just a huge scene. Like he was yelling and cussing and he didn't even want me to take my daughter, which I mean, it's understandable because I was just in the hospital, you know, and I was having thoughts about killing both of us. So it was understandable. But I kept telling him, I was like, if I didn't feel normal again, I would have never left that hospital because I was scared of myself and my own thoughts. So I wouldn't you know, go pick up my kid and be like, okay, I'm still having these thoughts, but I want her with me. Yeah. So it was it was tough, but I mean, since I do have custody of her, he didn't really have a choice, but. How old is she now? She is two. Oh, wow, she's yeah. pretty young. Yeah, she's still really little, but she's really, really smart. <laughs> wow, wow. And um, tell us a little bit of uh, the, the treatment. You know, you said that you, you were a few weeks in the hospital, therapy. Mm -hmm. uh, how that has changed your perception, your, your, you know, of how depression is for real? That is a really, really good question because over the past couple weeks, I continuously think about depression because in my head, I always thought depression is just being sad. And I was just like, I'm not even a sad person. How can I have depression? But depression is just so many different feelings that you wouldn't even expect for it to be and of course you know being in therapy i've learned you know it's more of like a chemical imbalance in your brain that you can't always deal with or you know take control over which is why a lot of people do take medicine for it but i've learned slowly that 
if I put myself in that position to be depressed, I will never take myself out of it, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, that is pretty important. Yeah. It's, it's, it's good to know. Yes. Because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, we, we all have different... Uh, I actually have a friend, and she... She says, no, I don't think depression exists. It's just in your mind. Mm -hmm. But I think it's a real thing. Yeah. You know, it's just different for, for different people. Definitely. Right? And when it hits you, I mean, it hits you. Very in different, hard. Different ways. And sometimes people just get stuck in those situations. Mm -hmm. And wow, I'm, I'm pretty impressed, you know, and I'm so glad that you're sharing this with us because we really don't know sometimes that the most important thing is accept that we're uh, depressed that yes. we're not normal we're not the same like every day and there is something there that needs to be taken care of mm -hmm. right so um uh after you know the um, well i mean when you met your your husband uh, were you guys okay were you because we get married right and we love each other how this the the relationship kind of get to that point of being abusive um i would say because we met when we were like 13 or 14 and we were just friends the whole time and it wasn't until after I had my second child, she was maybe nine or 10 months old, and we kind of just reconnected, and things were really, really good, because, I mean, we had always been really, really good friends, and, you know, we would always go places, we always had a really, really good time, and, you know, I thought we had a really good relationship. Um, he is a really heavy drinker, so that did have a really huge effect on his actions. Um, and it wasn't until after our daughter was born. She was about a week old. And that was the first time that he had ever put his hands on me. And he was drunk at the time. And, you know, the next day he told me, he was like, you just made me really upset. And I've always wanted to do that to you. Because he had strangled me from behind. And thankfully I didn't pass out or anything, but it was to the point where I couldn't breathe, obviously. And he just kept telling me, he was like, I've always imagined myself doing that. I've always wanted to do that to you. And I kind of just looked at him like, who even says that? Like, clearly mentally something's not right, but he never really accepted that he needed mental help. And, you know, even to this day, he will not accept that he needs mental help. Yeah. And, and you stayed? I did. I did, because I... I was more so scared because I didn't even report him to the police when it happened. Like I kind of just let him sleep it off. I stayed in a separate room and I just kind of wanted it to disappear pretty much. And I feel like even if I did leave at that time that he still would have, you know, found me or, you know, something and I wouldn't have been safe and my daughters wouldn't have been safe. And so I felt like the safest thing to do was to stay. and. Ultimately, that was the worst decision that I could have made. You mentioned that you were in a women, women shelter. Yes. And uh, what what do they recommend in that in that situ in those cases in that situation? Um. Well, they had told me that 
the route that I had taken was the best route that I could have taken. Kind of just, you know, leaving slowly, you know, leaving some things behind. Because when I packed my stuff, I still made it seem like we were still living there. Like I left half my clothes, I left half my kids' stuff, and I really just took what was necessary so it didn't even look like I was leaving anywhere. I didn't tell him I was leaving. I didn't make it obvious I was leaving. Cause even when my lawyer called, I had him on speakerphone cause I had no idea who it was. And he was like, hey, this is lawyer so-and-so. And I'm like, crap, he's gonna figure it out. But he didn't even hear any of my conversation. So I kind of just had it really on the down low. And that's when I kind of just ran off. And you know, even when I went to work, I would park inside of our garage. And he thought I had quit my job. Um, I had changed my number so he can contact me. Like, I had no contact with him at all. So you were afraid? I was very afraid. Wow. Yeah, I had gotten a restraining order, and so he was having his family drive around my job, drive around town, drive to the kids' daycare, because I took them out of daycare for those couple of weeks until the restraining order kicked in. And so he thought we, like, literally just vanished. Yeah. Wow. Uh, what are the the things that, that that you had to change? It changed your life yes. when you left. So, uh, how was it? It was it was really really tough because um, you know income. You're was, pretty young. I am. I'm only 26, <laughs> and I was like 23 or 24 at the time. Um, so I didn't want to change my job because it was a really good paying job so you know I kind of just had to hide I had nowhere to go so I was at the shelter for a month until I finally was able to get housing and it kicked in perfectly like just right in time when I really needed it but even then I didn't have any money to you know furnish the place to buy food for my kids or anything like that um, but I was actually in a Facebook group it was a mom's group and They had, I had, you know, kind of slowly told them what was going on, but I didn't really want to throw it all out there. And so um, I had actually got kicked out of the group for a second and I had contacted one of the people in there and I'm like, hey, what happened to the group? Is everything okay? Did I do something? And then come to find out they had put together like a whole food drive. They filled up my fridge. They, they gave me some furniture, not a bunch, but even the shelter gave me beds, you know, clothes, a couch. Like they, the uh, shelter and the uh, mom's group had furnished my entire house, you know, filled up my pantry, my kitchen, all of that. And so even though it was really, really tough, there's still those people out there that kind of like, I've been there, let me really help you out. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Oh my God. That's, um, we have, uh, we had a couple of, uh, girls, uh, not long ago in, I have to say they've been in a group and this is, this is our time. This is a women, you know, unity. Yes. And we need each other. We are in a pandemic also. Yes. So on top of everything, right we have to go through so much and this is the time that we have to unite and help each other uh here in power peace and love we we try to bring people together you know people that relate to this story because we need this kind of Uh, support mm -hmm. and I know that there are groups out there that are so beautiful yeah. I mean I got you guys from, <laughs> from the group <laughs> and it's so wonderful I mean to go through this and have all 
this board.、Mm-hmm. So how is um how are you doing like、uh, like currently like now? I'm doing a lot better.、Um, I can control my anxiety a lot more, and my depression. Like I said before, I've learned that if I put myself in that mindset that I'm unhappy or you know that I'm suicidal or whatever, I stay in that mindset because I put myself in that mindset. And so when I learn that, it's a lot easier to just not be depressed, I guess. <laughs>、um, but yeah, mentally, I'm doing a lot better. Um, the past couple days were a little tough because, like I said, I kind of put myself in that position that I wasn't happy, that you know life wasn't worth living. And then once I kind of got out of that funk, like you know I got up, I finally ate after two days. You know I showered because I hadn't showered in two days, so it it took a lot for me to really understand depression. But now that I can kind of. Understand it a lot more. It's a lot easier for me to just be happy and not even worry about you know the mental health issues that I do have. Wow.、Um, what do you think is the hardest part for people that that suffers depression and they don't? I mean, they they have a hard time to to overcome depression. Um, I think it's honestly really hard to. Kind of overcome it when there's a lot of triggers out there, because、mm. I know, like for me, the smallest thing can be a trigger for me. Like just driving down 35, like if I see a really tall bridge, that's a trigger for me because when I was feeling suicidal, my thoughts were to jump off a bridge.、Mm. So I guess it really depends on how you feel when you are really depressed, or if you are suicidal, what those triggers are, and just kind of learning to either stay away from them or learning how to really control them. Yeah. What is your, <clears throat> what is your,、uh, what do you do when, when those happen? Do you call people? What do you do? Usually,、um, when I first kind of learned my triggers, my biggest thing was putting on my friend's song.、Huh. Yeah, he's actually a local artist here in Dallas, and I would always put his song on it, and just because it's a familiar voice, I would really, really calm down. And mostly my anxiety is when I'm driving, so that's the best time because you know my music's already playing anyway. So I, you know, I turn the song on and I'm good. I can drive, I can smile, I can be happy.、Um, but other than that, if it's really, really bad and I can't control it, my next best thing is to call a family member and just kind of talk about my day or talk about what's going to happen tomorrow or just to get my mind, you know, back on track to where I'm not thinking like. Oh my god! Oh my god! Oh my god! There's anxiety here. There's a bridge here. There's this here. You know, just going back to that anxiety and depression, and kind of just triggering my mind to go back to just my happy place. Wow! Wow! How interesting. I mean, it's it's so beautiful to hear that you're doing better than now that that you can、mm-hmm. recognize. You know, the,、yes. the triggers and you can tackle them. So it's 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 wonderful.、Uh, how's the kids? I mean, how's that the whole <laughs> <laughs> the whole situation with work and kids and and everything? They are so wild, but they are doing so good. Like they still go see their dad. They still spend a lot of time with their dad. You know, and when they come back, they're still excited. You know, they tell me, "Oh, me and daddy did this. Me and grandma and grandpa did this." You know. They really weren't affected by me, you know, being in the hospital or me like trying to deal with my anxiety and depression. 
for the most part I'm able to hide it since it's more of a mental thing and it, if it does ever get physical like if I'm having an anxiety attack I'll kind of just walk away and be like you know what mommy needs a break really quick just give me you know five minutes and I'm okay or like my youngest daughter she has always grounded me with my anxiety like if it gets really really bad I'll lay her down on me or I'll nurse her and I'll be calm so I mean they they're there as well to help me a lot with my anxiety that's terrific. That's that's beautiful. And um, uh, what is uh, what is the biggest takeaway on, on this conversation? Uh, what is your message to our audience? Um, I think the biggest thing for me is just kind of recognizing that if you are mentally unhealthy, is getting help as soon as you can. You know, because I. Ultimately, I really waited because I thought I can control this anxiety, I can control this depression until it got to a point where I had a mental breakdown because I wasn't recognizing the signs and how bad it was getting. So my biggest thing is just getting help as soon as you notice, even the smallest little sign. What did you say to our audience that also are in an abusive relationship? Oh, that one's so tough because um, I feel like it's so easy to say leave, but it's never even close to being that easy because if it was, nobody would be in that situation. Um, but I guess the best advice I could give is, you know, reach out to somebody that will support you and will listen and will keep it private and to themselves and kind of just slowly find that way that you can get out safely you know whether it's contacting you know the police or you know your local women's shelter or even like the domestic violence hotline there's you know there's so many resources that a lot of ladies don't know about so they don't realize that there's help out there even if they don't have family nearby wow that is true yeah that's absolutely true um, so what is your project? What are you working on? What is uh, what is going on like right now? Uh, are you uh, still in therapy? Are you, you know, kind of handle this situation before? Yes. So I got out of group therapy because um, it was working, but I felt like it wasn't really pinpointed towards me. And I didn't like hearing other people that were suicidal when I was kind of yes. getting out of that. <laughs> um, so I do just therapy alone. Um, I, I'm going back to school now. Um, and so I kind of just, I'm trying to get back on track with my life instead of kind of just being in that really gloomy, dark place. Yeah, I mean, I'm so proud of you. I you. really appreciate that you, you took the time to be here with us. And, uh, you know, we hope that this can help someone out there in you know can can do what you do because there is always always someone out there that help us in services that we don't know about yes and yeah we're you know we're we're good <laughs> <laughs> and um thank you very much brie lorraine for sharing your story uh your words are such an inspiration to the audience to me you know, uh, I, I created this platform just, you know, because we all have a story and because I think we all come together and share and heal. Yes, so, of course. Thank you so yes, much. Yes, thank you very much. And um, 
thank you and I'm your host Irma Vera for Power, Peace and Love. Join us next time and subscribe to our YouTube channel for more real stories from real people. And advocate yourself, share and like and submit your story at hello at powerpeaceandlove.com and tune in for our next podcast episode. Thank you very much, Lorraine. Lorraine? Brie, Lorraine. Yes. Thank, Thank you. you very much. Thank Thanks. you. Bye.